Hello dear influential leaders, movers and shakers. Are you ready for a weekly checkup from the neck up? <laughs> you will understand this one once you listen to this week's episode of the Influential Executive Podcast. Every week we bring a new episode in which we interview world-class influencers who are very successful because they chose to be a leader in their field and do what others can't do, won't do or simply do not know how to do. You know that nothing is impossible once you set your mind to it and surround yourself with the right people. In today's episode we interview someone very dear to us. This person will definitely give you the best checkup from the neck up. You know that sometimes we just stand in our own way and this person helps you to figure out how to achieve the goals you set for yourself. As a professor of communication, he has also taught public speaking, argumentation, critical thinking and group interaction to adult learners at the college level for over 12 years. In this episode, Jeff Klobeck gives you more than a clue on how to become a master communicator, amazing public speaker and successful coach. We love learning and implementing the new tips that help us move forward. Thank God that we have cracked the code on how to get more time in our lives. So we actually managed to implement all the lessons from these interviews. We spent more than a decade studying topics like psychology, time management, emotional intelligence, business, physics and leadership. And this was our chance to gain yet another perspective on this powerful information. Now you can be asking yourself, what does self-development have to do with business? Well, every business is just a group of people. And the better you know yourself and the more you understand the people around you, the better you can work together, go on a mission and achieve any goal you set for you and your business. One team, one mission. So welcome to the number one podcast for growth-minded leaders who want to grow their influence. For all leaders who have an open mind and want to learn from the best. When you check our Facebook page, you will see that we managed to get over 10,000 followers and that we managed to get in less than two months. Well, how did we accomplish this? We partnered up with the right experts. In business, there is typically one thing you are great at and for everything else, you need to collect the right people around you. For this reason, we partner up with amazing social media experts from Blackpool Marketing. They are outstanding at finding high quality leads so that we invest in our marketing as effectively as possible. At the end of this podcast, we will share with you how you too can stop wasting money on Facebook ads and work with Blackpool to do it right the first time. Now get ready for coach Jeff Klubeck. He's a true wordsmith who loves to joke around. So pay close attention to hear all his plays on words and his creative metaphors. In this interview, you will find out why most people are in their own way, and who knows? Maybe this includes you, and you'll hear how to get yourself moving again. You'll also learn about the power of a good hug, how to communicate for maximum impact, how to encourage your children, how to become great at public speaking, and how to sell one of the most abstract services out there. How to sell coaching. And today on our podcast, we have the wonderful influencer of influencers of influencers, trainer of the coaches, Coach Jeff. Jeff, welcome. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Jeff Klubeck from Get a Clue Coaching. You give people clues? Well, uh, <laughs> in my experience, most people know what they need to do. <laughs> in my experience, most people know what they need to do. There's just uh, something in, in the way of them seeing that, 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 that truth, that reality, that strategy. So sometimes we have to get people out of their own way and they, they think it's a clue. But most, in most, most cases, people have the answers all along. They just, you just need to help them focus and make it more clear to them. I love it. We, we do all these interviews to find out what influence really is. Many people call themselves an influencer because mm -hmm. they attract a lot of attention. Many eyes are aimed at them. Um, we distinguish between influencing and inspiring, having a true positive influence, triggering somebody to take action. What are your insights on what an influencer really is and how do you use it for yourself and for your clients who are influencers? Wow. Well, this is a great question. What's the difference, for example, between influence and persuade, right? And uh, I think that, that, that if you look at those two terms, persuade, you know, persuasion is just, is just change. Right? And so in one sense, all communication is persuasive, all, everything, because we're going about our business thinking what we think. And as soon as we interact with another message, we've changed the course of our thinking, like a, you know, like a river that you can never step in twice. Um, but effective persuasion is going to go beyond just changing somebody's thoughts it, it, into action, where the thoughts are changed so significantly that it spills over into that person changing action. So that's a, there's a difference between persuasion and effective persuasion. So what is an influencer? I think an influencer is somebody that gains somebody's attention to initiate that process that might potentially lead to effective persuasion. But if, if somebody's influenced me, they've gotten my attention. I have some understanding of how it may hurt if I don't pay attention and how it may help if I do, right? It'll be beneficial if there's also a process, a strategy, a path to follow after that attention has been captured. And if I believe that there's credibility around all of that, then I might actually go ahead and take action. But I think influencers are the people that, that initiate this process of uh, attention, persuasion, effective persuasion. I see that you're really good with words. Am I right? <laughs> well, I always, <laughs> it's in the ear of the beholder, of course, right? Some of my words sound great to some and some may not sound as great to others. I, I, I have been complimented often on my wordsmithing abilities. Um, I do have a master's in communication. I am a people person. So I, I have a fast paced variety oriented brain. Uh, maybe it's like survival mechanism. I can tell you quite honestly that one time my sense of humor <laughs> And my ability to speak or, you know, uh, get stuff out of my mouth that would make people smile or laugh kept me from getting beaten up by my brother one time. He was older than me and he had me pinned down and he was about to hit me. And I like said something, right? And so, my, my, you know, so I thought, well, let me be quick with my mouth and that might help me in life, right? Um, in all seriousness, I have a lot of fun with words. Personal and professional growth is tough enough right? It's challenging enough. So if we could do anything to ease that process, including wordsmithing and, and, and making things fun, putting together interesting word combinations and getting people's attention through the use of language, I'm all for it. Yeah, that's right. And being a specialist in communication, you must also realize that a word can mean something else in your mind compared to what it does in my mind. 
And so choosing the right words in the right moment um, is very important to getting your message across. Now, our audience, they're all ambitious people. They want to learn, they want to grow, they want to improve themselves, mm -hmm. and they want to increase their impact on other people so that they can have a bigger influence and create more good, help more people. Now, what are some of the basics that you give to your clients who are mostly coaches, influencers themselves, in order to have a stronger impact on other people, to, to trigger them to take action? Well, um, when you, that's, a, that's a great question. If I'm just focusing on what you said at the end there, trigger them to take action. Sometimes it's a trigger, like a switch, like just press a button and you know, it goes, like something that's spring-loaded like a mousetrap, trigger it and bam, it snaps. You know, other time it's a, it's a slow boil. You know, it's a one degree at a time getting it, you know, to that 12, 212 degrees, for example, if I, if I may give an acknowledgement and a shout out to my good friend, uh, Damian Elston, uh, leader of eye coaching and consulting, uh, very famous for popularizing the concept of 212 degrees, right? Which mm -hmm. is that, that, that place where you finally get steam from boiling water, right? So sometimes it's a trigger immediate boom, get them to take action right away. Um, and, and, and I think, um, yeah, just instinctually, it, it, it seems that, that the trigger approach to getting somebody to take action has negative vibration, right? Where a slow and gradual, right, process has, I think, more of a nurturing, a loving, and an intentional vibration. I'm sure there's exceptions on both sides. But when you say trigger somebody to take action, maybe I've commanded or, or bullied or threatened or created some where somebody's just instantaneous in a fight or flight response mindset takes action where I'd rather have a, a nurturing strategic rapport based loving approach uh, to, to urging people to the actions that they need to take. Um, so I think that there's exceptions on both sides, but that's my approach when I hear about triggering people to take action. Now, what does it in, in, in either case, whether it's a trigger or a slow boil, you need to get the person associated to the pleasure of taking action or the pain of not taking action. So you need to be able to ask the tough question. How long has it been that you've been without this? What have you missed out on? What have you lost out on? How, what are the negative experiences or emotions you've gone through in the past when you've been without this? And what is it costing you right now? Moreover, if you don't do something about this, what's it going to be like in the future? And if you get people to get honest answers to those questions about what's at stake if they don't change, that usually could get them into action. And, and, and statistically, more people are motivated away from pain than towards pleasure, right? I don't like that. I'm an optimist. I'm a happy guy. I'd rather just paint the happy picture. Like, wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great if? Imagine if. Wouldn't it be cool if? Check. And then paint the rosy picture and get them all you know, enthusiastic and hopeful and, and so forth. Um, so I like to balance painting the picture of pleasure and pain for people. Now I'm going to be able to do that if I have good rapport, if they trust me, if I have a good track record, if they perceive my listening to be a loving listening rather than just waiting to ambush them to try to hold them accountable to something to, to beat my chest and say, I'm the best accountability coach. It's not like that. It's more balanced. It's more nurturing than that. I love it. And if I were a listener right now, I would pause, rewind and write down those five or six questions you just mentioned. Because using those questions in one-on-one -on -one conversation, yeah. they're extremely powerful, we found. We work with many people who are part of a larger organization as well. Executives, for example, who deal with their team members 
who mm-hmm. also have the job to lead them, to motivate them. And what I found in my experience in the past life, uh, in corporate life, is that most managers stay on the surface and they find it difficult to get that level of depth in the relationships with their team members. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's different in the corporate situation than it is in like in a private coaching or consulting practice. You know, most of my clients throughout my life, they come to me, they know that they they need something, right? And I'm very delicate in helping them figure out how to make that a decision to invest in coaching. I offer two complimentary coaching sessions, which we may talk about later, um, to really make sure that there's a fit and there's rapport and there's time to build rapport, uh, et cetera. Now, in the corporate situation, wow, you know, people, a lot of times when coaching comes in, it's somebody, it's one person that's decided that the team or the department needs coaching and now some employees got coaching. And then, so they might start off very guarded. It's probably hard for uh, an outside company to come in, provide coaching to a team of a hundred people or 50 people or 200 people when one or two people decided, Oh, we're going to bring in coaching and it'll be great for our people. But what is that going to do? Is it going to trick? What are they? Am I, is my job on the line? What are they trying to find out about me? What's going on here? And so people will stay guarded if they feel that the coaching is being imposed on them rather than if they go and seek it on their own. Right? I, I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what you were referring to um, where people uh, management or supervision uh, in a hierarchical situation, people keep things close to their chest. They protect themselves because, you know, it's competitive and it's cutthroat. And uh, I've, had more, I've had more success in my heart coaching in the entrepreneurial and small business space than in the corporate space. Jeff, when did you decide to become a coach or were you born as the communication expert and coach? Um, maybe both and a little bit more. I mean, um, I, I'll tell you this cute story. Uh, I think it's cute anyway. You guys have seen like post-it notes, right? Yeah. Yep. And um, so, so when, when I was growing up, when we didn't have cell phones, we used to have telephones that were like attached to walls with cords, right? So if you were on the phone, you had to like kind of be in one spot. And uh, my parents, we grew up, you know, we grew up modest. My parents, I'll, I'll quote my friend Shaquille O'Neal, in saying that we weren't dirt poor, but we were gravel poor, right? Uh, And and we were rich in love. We were a very warm, intimate home, but we didn't have a whole lot. We had one phone line is what I'm getting at, right? We didn't have multiple lines, you know, for every human being in the house. And so, so as, as we got into, uh, I got into like junior high and high school, like junior, like 13, 14, 15, where the social life becomes more important, especially for an extrovert like me, I was on the phone a lot. And my mom, one time she was sitting to my left waiting for me to get off the phone. And I was at a desk. You guys can see me right now. Listeners can't, but you guys can see that I'm at my desk. And I was just kind of on the phone, holding the phone like this with my elbows on the desk, looking down. And my mom was sitting off to the side waiting for me to get off the phone because we only had one phone line. And, and she was hearing my side of the conversation. Now, in my mind, I was just being a friend and having a conversation with a friend. I didn't think anything of it. But all of a sudden... Underneath my nose, this post-it note put <laughs> underneath, and it says, I'm going to try to write here right now, and you guys can read it. The DR period is, right? In, uh, so this is what happened. This, it goes, and it says the doctor is, and there's a check, you know, a checkbox for in and a checkbox for out. And she had the box checked in. basically the doctor is in and I looked at her and she looked at me and she just gave me this assuring nod and I have chills all over my body right now because that was the first time I ever heard myself as somebody that was being like 
giving advice or consulting or listening in a, in a way, not just saying surface talk, but my mom knew from hearing my side of the conversation that somebody on the other end of the line felt that they could trust me, felt that they can. Now then it was stupid stuff like, Oh, my parents are being mean or, you know, I really like this girl or, you know, like whatever, whatever it was back in junior high. Right. Um, so that was the first time that I saw myself that way, but I didn't like monetize uh, coaching, consulting, speaking, training, as a career until uh, 2007 is when I started earning my first money with Get A Clue Incorporated. Uh, I had been a professor of public speaking and communication for, well, now it's 20 years. I retired last year, but then I had been a professor for seven, eight years and decided I wanted to take what I was doing in the classroom, getting people past the fear of public speaking out of the classroom into small and micro businesses, life services, professionals, wherever it would take me. And in the worst economy since the depression, yeah. 2007, 2008, 2009, I started convincing people that they needed to invest money out of their pocket to have me on their side to talk to regularly. And I'm still blown away by it. I pinch myself every day that, that uh, I had the, the courage in the worst economy since the depression to, to, to start this practice called Get a Clue. And I had enough fortune and support from my wife and, and I had the teaching gig for a while and, until I retired last year, but it blows my mind that I actually make money talking to people. I can't, I can't believe it, but yeah, a coach, it's not just what I do. It's who I am to, to, to finish out that question. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I, I was even skydiving. And if you watch the 10 minute video of me skydiving, I'm like, I'm coaching into the camera, like on the way down. Remind me to send that to you sometime. <laughs> yeah that that's true you are you are coaching 24 7 i just remember yeah. a couple of weeks ago when we saw each other and i came up with with this idea i don't remember exactly what was it and you just on a spot went like okay so i can think of this and i can think of that and it's like your brain literally never stops and what amazes me even more is that you have story for literally everything I have a feeling that I can tell you, okay, Jeff, I need to describe this and this feeling. And you're like, okay, so I have a story for you. So do you collect <laughs> stories or how do you come up with all of those stories? Oh boy. Well, um, that's a good question. I haven't asked myself that question before. How do I come up with it? So I'm guessing right now, as I answer the question, um, I, you can, I've shown you my, my, you've seen my coaching journal before. Mm -hmm. I'm a furious, furious note taker absolute furious note taker. And that's actually, that's that, I think that comes from my college days where, you know, again, I love my parents. They gave me a lot of confidence in myself, tons of love, the huge heart that I have. Well, you know, financially though, they don't, weren't always able to do as much for me as they wanted. And um, in college, I, I wasn't able to buy textbooks for many, many semesters. There was many semesters that, or for the first six, seven weeks of the semester, I couldn't until the financial aid came in or whatever the case may be. So my strategy in college was to take furious notes. Everything I was hanging on every single word out of every professor's mouth, you know, fearful that I wasn't going to be able to study the textbook. So I needed to like pay attention to what did the professor think was important from the textbook. The other people have it the other way around. They're like, oh, I've got the book. I'll just read the book when I need to, and I'm not going to go to class today. Well, I was the other way around, right? I was in class, sitting on the edge of my seat, taking furious notes. I would show up to office hours, talk to the professors just in case I couldn't get my hands on the textbooks. So I became a really, you know, I focused my listening skills. And, uh, and of course, over the years of coaching, uh, all the notes that I take on every session, and, and then I feel people, I think I'm a bit of an empath. Um, you know, if, if you know behavioral assessments, I'm definitely a high eye on the, on the disc assessment, like, like a hundred eye. 
but I, I feel like when I, I don't just hear people, I listen to them, I feel them. And, and, and so I internalize. And so whether somebody's told me a joke or somebody's shared a story with me in their coaching session, or, you know, and of course my own vivid memories of my own experiences of pleasure and pain through story. I don't know necessarily how per se, but those are some things that come to mind. And what we're doing in these podcasts is we collect building blocks on how to be a greater influencer. And we, we are productivity experts. So we help people get twice the result in the same amount of time. And one thing that we're very keen on is to implement the right habits in our own life and in the lives of our clients. Because 95% of time we're on automatic pilot. So we just run on our habits and only a small amount of time, we consciously choose what we do. What are some routines or habits that you believe every person of positive influence must have integrated in their being? You know, it's funny. Um, I was trying to come up with a Kluby snack last night because I had this really strong <laughs> thought. And it's re related to a Kluby snack is either what, my name, you know, my last name is Klubeck, as you mentioned in the introduction. And And uh, what we've referred to as Kluby snacks, it's either my wife's homemade cookies. If my wife makes really delicious homemade cookies, <laughs> Kluby snacks, they're delicious, right? And my mouth waters thinking about them. And she's got different versions like, you know, Kluby snack one and Kluby snack two. And anyway, uh, 1.0, 2.0. And then, and then and if there's something digestible that comes out of my mouth, like a quick, you know, nice little phrase or whatever, I call, I'm, I'm trying to brand them as Kluby snacks, right? So you know, positive sayings or quotes or whatever. So I came up with one last night that I think is related to your question about habits, right? And tell me, tell me if you like this. It's a Kluby snack. Are you ready? I just wrote it down last night. All right. Yeah. All right. You can tell a lot about a person by what he or she is committed to, if anything at all, and how she or he or she treats others in making, pursuing, or the breaking of that commitment. Right. So basically, like, what are you committed to and how do you treat people on the way to your commitment? Right. And so I make it a habit of making commitments, you know, whether it's goal setting or commitments to the actions that will execute the strategy to get me to the goal. Right. Um, I have a habit of trying to drink a gallon of water every day. Like I'm committed to certain things. What are you? So you can tell a lot about people by what they're committed to. Some people are committed to avoiding commitment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Some people are committed to an emotional addiction. Sometimes people are committed to it being their way versus any other. You, you, you can tell a lot about somebody by what they're committed to. And then when, once they either make or don't make, you know, whether, first of all, whether they make or make commitments or not. And then what are you committed to? And then how do you treat people on the way to your commitment? As you're in pursuit of commitment or as you're breaking your commitment? right? Voiding your commitment or, 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 or going after that, whatever level of pursuit, right? All the way up to non-committing in the first place or breaking a commitment or actually staying committed and getting there, right? How do you treat people along the way when it's tough and you got to keep going mm -hmm. or when it's tough and you think about quitting, you know, are you looking within and still maintaining your ability to be nice to people, loving to people, supportive of people, tolerant of people? Can you keep a, a peaceful disposition or are you so committed to what you want that you don't care how you treat people on the way to getting it and then you may end up screwing it up for yourself by not paying attention to how you treat people on the way to your commitments so this is something that i was thinking about last night and i think these are building blocks you know what are you committed to and what's your level of commitment and how do you treat people 
on a day-to-day basis. And, and then of course, obviously that starts with how are you treating yourself? Are you working on yourself? Do you, do you, is there any self-care practice at all? Do you drink wheatgrass? You know, do you, do you, do you take naps? You know, do you, do you get Cairo or do you do anything energetically? Do you, do you have, do you spend any time looking within? And, and, and I think those are some building blocks that come to mind right away. What is your personal brand? How would you describe Jeff in, uh, yeah, in few words, I would rather say it in few sentences in your case. <laughs> Well, there's get a clue, right? Yes. That's the name of the, the coaching practice, coaching consulting. Privately, I do coaching, consulting, speaking, training. Get a clue. So just helping people figure things out. You'd be surprised how often. And as a matter of fact, I hope anybody that's listening to this, let's play a game, right? And you email me the number of the game. After one week's time, like tune now, pay, pay attention. You'll see it now that I'm activating the reticular activation mechanism. How many times do you hear people say, oh, I don't have a clue. Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Or I don't have the first, I wouldn't have the first clue. Pay attention to how many times you hear, catch yourself saying, I don't have a clue. I wouldn't have a clue. I don't have a clue. Or you catch other people saying, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. Well, first of all, like I told you up front, it's never true. (laughs) Everybody always has a clue. Always. Right? They say, I don't have a clue to excuse themselves from the responsibility of looking at the clue, executing the clue, and giving up whatever else they're committed to in their life to move forward on the clue, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. I think it's Tony Robbins that says success leaves clues, right? Thank God, it's music to my ears, right? Like this last <laughs> name, Clueback. I'm going to milk this. I'm going to get everything I can out of this Clueback shit. Am I allowed to say that? It is a podcast. <laughs> yes. right? Right, by the way, happy clue year. I know that it's almost July, but I just get to wish you a happy clue year. So I love this clue thing, right? And so, so get a clue as a brand. Like what, get a clue, you, you have a clue. Like, oh, you can't see your clue? Well, then get me and then you'll see all the other clues. Let me be your first clue, right? So I, I offer two complimentary sessions and to start my career and build my career, right? And I can talk about that, the, the strategy behind that. But the, I love saying, well, it's up to two and then we're through or it's up to two, then you'll know what to do. Or it's up to two, then you'll hire Get a Clue, right? And I have a lot of fun with it. So the Get a Clue thing is funny to me that people say it all the time and you'll hear people say it a thousand times this week and it's never true. People always do have a clue, but are they willing to look at it? Are they willing to hold themselves accountable to executing on it? Are they disciplined enough to stay the course and give up whatever they need to give up to go on and on and on? So there's that. Um, that's, that's, so that's the brand of the personal practice, right? And then um, personally, my personal brand I, I mentioned earlier that some there's a lot of coaches out there that they, they call themselves accountability coaches because they like controlling other people, right? I'm the accountability coach and do it as, you know, I, I fired my client today because they weren't doing what they said. That's a bunch of crap as far as I'm concerned, right? Like you fired your client, like you haven't studied coaching enough to love your client and help them transform to the point where they can keep their commitments. They, they don't keep their commitment one week and you fire them so you can establish your superiority as a coach and have a dominance effect and a control. There's a lot of coaches that are playing this coaching game for that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that, that bums me out. That really bums me out. That's the, that dilutes the field in my opinion. And rather than getting into a whole white paper discussion from learning theory and blah, 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 right? I just simply say some coaches go for the jugular, <laughs> but Coach Jeffrey goes for the hugular. So, that's, that's, so I, that's a brand. I promise you that when you work with me, you'll feel like even if it's public speaking, you'll be sitting in your chair. You'll be feeling as if I'm hugging you. When we work one-on-one in our coaching sessions, you'll feel, even if it's Zoom and diving through the camera, you'll feel 
that I'm hugging you, that I'm listening in such a loving and open way, that I'm so ready to be vulnerable with you for the purpose of your growth. And I'm going to end up growing in the process as well. You'll feel that love. You'll feel that level of listening. And it's easy for me to promise that I go for the hugular. I'm coming in. I'm coming in for the hug. And uh, I think that if we had more hugs in the world, the world would be a better place. So you will feel loved when you work with me. And love is the adhesive of the whole coaching methodology. Motivation plus accountability equals results. But it all falls apart if there's no love. I've seen you coaching, obviously, in, in a bigger groups as well. And I really enjoy watching you while your clients perform. I can see the laugh in your eyes and, and how happy you are when they are doing well. And then you jump off the chair and, and run there and hug the person when they've done, uh, when they've done a great job. And even if they just conquer the fear. So speaking about fear and speaking about fear of speaking. Uh-huh. What is this all about? Why are people so afraid of speaking? And I'm not going to pretend like I was never afraid of speaking. <laughs> oh, are, you are you ready? Are yes. you ready? Yes. You ready for the quick? I'm going to give you a quick answer just to prove to you that I can. Are you ready? Yes. They aren't. <laughs> so what, what's this all about? Why people... Okay, are you ready? Thanks for asking. All right. Imagine you had a shopping mall, right? Which is, <laughs> I got you now, right? Here's how it comes about. What you're saying is like, how is public speaking rated the number one fear ahead of death, right? That's what you want to know. Mm -hmm. Like how on earth, right? Especially for somebody, if you, congratulations, you were comfortable right away. You've been doing it for quite some time. You've had successes with it. And even when it hasn't gone as well as you want, just motivates you to do better, right? Congratulations. <laughs> if it were, by the way, if it could work for people like us, it could work for everybody else too. So everybody else, if you think you're afraid of public speaking, pay attention. You're not. Here's how they did it. Here's how they tricked us. Are you ready? Yes. You're at a shopping mall or a farmer's market or uh, like, like a, a concert, right? Uh, or, you know, some, or like someplace, you know, like where there's a lot of people, captive audience where you could get to a, like a prison, a lot of people in one spot all at once, right? Did you get the prison joke? Okay, so, so you're... <laughs> the jokes you. I still have to learn to really get chips. Yeah, so you're in a densely populated area and somebody comes up to you, some social science researcher with a clipboard, right? And it says, hey, we'll give you a $5 coupon off, you know, discount off your favorite clothing store if you would just take time and fill out this survey. Would you be willing to do that? And you're like, sure, I would, right? So you've seen these surveys, your name, your demographics, yeah. your, that, your average household income, whatever the case may be. And then you get to these questions where you either agree, strongly agree, neither agree nor disagree, disagree or strongly disagree. So you're, let's say you're sitting at the shopping mall with your, your lovely husband, Alex, and it's the food court, you're kicking back and it's no big deal. And there's all these people around and all right, you want to get through this survey quickly so you can get your $5 coupon off at your favorite store and move on with it already. And the question comes up. I would rather die than give a speech. Strongly agree. And you just strongly agree and move on to the next question. Right? And so now somebody who got a thousand surveys filled out in like 20 minutes because they did it at a shopping mall or a prison or a farmer's market where there's a lot of people densely populated all in one spot. They go back and they go, I got the thousand people. Let's run the numbers. Oh my God. People are more afraid of public speaking than death. I can't believe it. Look at how the numbers came out. But if I went up to you, right, at a prison, let's say, with a gun, and I said, would you rather die or give a speech? You'd be like, how much time do I have? What's the topic? Can I go twice? I'm ready to go. How many people in the audience? Go. Go to the room. We need a good room. Let's go. 
So <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. The point is, we're not more afraid of public speaking than death. Just some social science researcher wanted to make yeah. public speaking a huge fear because it is a major, major vulnerability. It is a major, major um, adrenaline producer, right? But it's no different than cooking a meal, right? If you prepare well, you'll do well. If you've got ingredients, cooking instructions, the right pots and pans and the right, the heating mechanisms, you know, you might make it a mistake a couple times, but you'll, you'll do it and then you'll get better at it. Yes. You get to a point where you can cook a meal without even looking. You don't have to measure, you know, how like some people, they don't even measure the ingredients anymore. They just pour it in there because they know. So public speaking is no different than cooking or practicing the alphabet or, I mean, anything else you can think of. If you prepare well, you do well, right? Moreover, I don't think people are afraid of public speaking. Like the moment that they're on their feet, I think what they're afraid of is preparing to speak publicly because that takes work. You need strategy. You need discipline. You need mechanisms to rein in your, organize your thoughts. You need to have a logical flow to the content that you'll be presenting. You have to stay tethered to your why of it all. You have to keep the audience in mind, get over your ego. I mean, all of that stuff, right? That's what people are afraid of. Right. But the moment that they're on their feet speaking, everybody loves attention. Everybody loves to talk about themselves, even the introverts. For me, it was purely like, what if I forget? How do you, I think that, that, that like many people have this kind of feeling or this kind of worry in their okay. head. All right. Let's, let's, the all, right. all right. Let's stop being funny about this. Let's be serious. If you don't know what to talk about, you got no business speaking. Okay. So like number one, make sure you got something to talk about, right? It, what's in it for your audience? What's, what's your purpose? What are you trying to get across? You have to, you, you step number one, I've got eight steps to fearless public speaking, an eight step proven process that I've taken. It's gotten thousands of people past the fear of public speaking. And I use the same process when I'm working with entrepreneurs to get their messaging together, to get them ready to go speak on a big stage. And then you're nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. The, the mega speakers that, that I've, I've coached, you know, year and a half, two years. So, the eight step process works, but what's step number one? It's purpose. What's your purpose, right? So you're trying to inform, you're trying to, you know, persuade, do you want them to get up and take action? Are you trying to entertain them? It's what's the main purpose. And, and then you have to be the animal, right? You have to, what's in it for them. And you have to really make all of these decisions about what you're going to do in your speech about whether or not it's going to achieve your purpose per your audience. Not, and, and if you're really just trying to serve yourself, you got no business speaking. Now to the memorization thing, <sighs> The person that wants to memorize their speech, right? They're concerned that they don't know their shit well enough. <laughs> Does this make sense? Yeah. So like, so now are you afraid of public speaking? Or are you afraid of knowing your shit so well that you get up on any stage and speak comfortably no matter what? Like I never worry about forgetting. You want to know why? You want to know why I never worry about forgetting? Because I never memorize. <laughs> I, I, I never memorize. I, I trust myself. Like I tr it's like the phone. If my phone rang right now, right? <laughs> Lenka, oh no, my phone's ringing. What am I going to say? What if I forget? <laughs> I never do that. I just go, hello, and I wait to hear what I hear. Then I trust that like, I, whatever I need to say is going to come to me. Right? Right. So now, like, so, so back to like, knowing your stuff. You know, I know the number six so well. The number six so well. Right? It's, you know, Lenka, it's the one that comes after five before seven. Yes. But I know it so well that I could say three times two, four plus two. 1 plus 5, 10 minus 4, 60 divided by 10, 100 minus 94, or the beloved half dozen. <laughs> so, so 
it's my favorite and yours. Let's be honest. That half dozen, <laughs> whether it's donuts or bagels, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, anyway, point is like, I know the number six so well that I could say it a number of different ways, but if I only thought of one way to say it, I got no business going on stage. If I can't say my content more than one way. And that's another, the other reason that's important is because, you know, there's a lot of different people in the audience. It could be people from all over the world. And one term that means one thing to one person, as you mentioned earlier, and might mean a different thing to another person. So I might need to repeat myself or come at it with a story or a quote or a statistic or an anecdote or say, I need to be ready to say it a bunch of different ways. And so, so familiarity with your content, knowing and love, right? Being a subject matter expert on something and knowing it so well that you can say it in a number of different ways will get you past this need to memorize and mm -hmm. into a greater connection with your audience, trusting yourself that just like you do when your phone rings, whatever you need to say will come to you in the moment if you're well prepared. And that's what I help people do is get well prepared. I love, I love it. And that's, that's indeed how I overcame that. I had to start trusting in, in my capability. I knew that I'm capable of it. I knew that what I know is, is amazing and is very valuable, but I had to make that click. I had to one yeah. day say, okay, I, I know it. And whatever happens, it does not have to be perfect. All right, so are you ready? I'm gonna come up with a Kluby snack right here on the spot. Are you guys, this is just, just exclusively for like, you guys. Alex and Lenka just came to me. Hang on, let me write it down. It's uh, capable, oh, this is a new one. Thank you guys for the inspiration. Capable <laughs> plus prepared equals ready. Love it. Capable if you're capable, capable plus prepared equals ready. So you could be prepared, but not capable. You just don't have the chops. You don't have the skill set, right? You, you, I can prepare you all you want, but if you don't got the goods, you're not ready. Now you could have the skill sets. You could, you know what I mean? You could have the capabilities all day long, left and right. You could have all the talent in the world, but if you're not prepared, you may not be ready. But when you're capable and prepared, now you've achieved this beautiful land that I call readiness. Readiness is a sweet spot. It's a place that I love to play in. And readiness is this playground where you don't have to go, but if you need to, you're ready. And, and it's this feeling of confidence. It's a feeling that, that doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean that you'll get everything right. It just means that you're ready to go. You're capable, you're prepared, so you're ready. And there's no reason not to go. From that place of readiness, now you may not, go you know but there's no reason not to if you're compelled to if it's if, if going is going to get you what you want and that means that you're ready to make mistakes you're ready to learn and grow from those mistakes you're ready to be vulnerable you're ready to put yourself out there you're ready to to have a different life right so i'm really pumped up right now on this little cleavy <laughs> snack do you guys like it yeah i i like it very very much and it immediately reminds me of something that we've noticed with people we work with and people we speak to, everybody wants to get whatever they want out of life. They want to grow, they want to be successful, etc. And it's often, it's a lack of confidence that seems to be pulling them down. And huh. right here, what you see is all you need is to be capable and to be prepared. There are things you can do. You can educate yourself, you can train yourself to become capable. You can have the discipline to prepare yourself. And off you go. And suddenly you're part of the 1% yeah. because the other 99%, they don't have the discipline or the willpower to actually yeah. do this. 
So you guys know as, product, as productivity experts, you guys know major project, break it into milestones, break it into goals, chunk it down, chunk it down, chunk it down. So you can actually see something that's actionable. When you look at the project as a whole, it could be overwhelming. Like, oh, like somebody trapped in the Sahara Desert, they want to get out. And they, all they can think about is out, 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 right? And then they're so, they don't want to go anywhere because they don't want to go the wrong direction. They don't want to walk around in circles. So they're trapped and paralyzed with fear that they can't see what they really want so bad, right? Because it's not visible. That's why, you know, like when the, I think when the French were occupying the territories of the Sahara, they put big 55-gallon drums evenly spread out with the curvature of the earth. So that when you were standing at one big black drum, all you, you didn't have to see out of the Sahara Desert. All you had to do was see the next big black drum. And once you, you just go to that one, and once you got to it, the next one would appear in, the, in, the, in the, the horizon, the curvature of the earth. So one step at a time, one step at a time, right? So confidence, right? What if we looked at building confidence one step at a time, right? So a lot of times people think like, what? Oh, public speaking. I don't have the confidence to do that. Hang on. Can you do step one? Yes. Can you do step two? Can you, you know what I mean? If you like, if they're thinking about being on stage in that moment and they project right to that and they immediately say, I don't have confidence. So let's focus on the building blocks towards confidence. And uh, we can break it down even further than how I just did. But I love this frame of let's, let's, let's break down. Are you capable? Do you believe? So getting somebody to believe that they're, they're talented enough, that they have the physical, mental ability to do whatever it is, getting them to believe that. Then they'll listen to the strategy right? The preparation, the, the, the steps towards uh, preparing. And then, then you could get to say, like, you are capable, right? Yeah, we talked about that. We have spent the last, you know, three full days going over all eight steps, correct? Yeah. You did do a practice run on video and you smiled ear to ear with pride about what you look like on camera, right? Yeah. Well, now you're prepared then. So you're ready. Capable plus prepared is ready. So I love taking people through that process, chunking confidence down into the building blocks on the way rather than having them see it as you're trying to get out of the desert all in one shot. Let's, let's, talk, let's focus on capability. Let's focus on preparation. And then next thing you know, you'll find yourself in readiness. How do you help people to get motivated to think? Because you are a thinker. You, mm -hmm. you love thinking and you love to brainstorm and, and, and you love really being with yourself and get your thoughts on the paper. And I experienced that in this fast-paced world, people somehow stop thinking. They just, like you said, they, they don't really take the time. So how do you motivate them? Uh, wow, it's interesting. Um, generally, there's two ways to motivate somebody. And I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from my coaching methodology now, the coaching methodology that I practice and that I use to train other coaches or leaders that want the skill sets of coaching. Mm -hmm. In my experience, there's, there's two major ways to motivate somebody. Number one is to provide strategies, right? That's just the strategies that are the, the, the uh, parent, the, 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 I don't know, the, the, the source of tactics, right? So the strategy is the concept and the tactics are the practical execution of the strategy, right? So like we said earlier, success leaves clues. Leaves clues. There's not a thing that anybody wants to achieve that somebody else hasn't already achieved. And there's a documented, accessible, findable, researchable, discoverable strategy. Now, the fun version of that is if like my wife, my, when my wife says, Jeff, cook dinner for the kids. I go, you know, with the, the emoji with the big, the big eyes, like what? But if she says, Jeff, here's, the cook, here's all the ingredients and here are the cooking instructions where you make dinner for the kids. I don't even think twice. I'm just like, okay, I'm motivated. 
So no, there's no resistance there. You gave me the resources. You gave me the strategy. I'm motivated. I'll go out. Maybe I burn myself. Maybe I overcook the pasta. Who cares? But I'm, I'm motivated now to at least take the action because you've given me the strategy. Yes. Right? The other thing, so we need strategies for health. In, in life coaching, strategies for health, relationships, communication, strategies for uh, personal finance or parenting or what have you. And in business, we need strategies for team building, staffing, time management or energy management or productivity management. We need strategies for sales, marketing, branding, on and on and on, right? So, so a good coach will accumulate strategies and have a lot of strategy that they can pull from in any given moment to help somebody with what they want. The, the other way to motivate somebody is when strategy ain't working. <laughs> then what? <laughs> what, what? It's like, I can't, I'm laughing now because I say, are you sitting at your desk right now? They go, yeah. I'm like, okay, are your desk drawers on the left side or the right side? They go, right side. I'm like, okay, is the operations manual in the top, top drawer, middle drawer, bottom drawer? Okay, bottom drawer. All right, pull it out, open it up, start reading it. Now you have strategy. <laughs> you know exactly what you need to do. Right now, if you're still not taking action, call me back and we'll do a checkup from the neck up. So the other part, the other way to motivate somebody that has all the strategies, has all the clues, but they're not looking at them, not taking action is you got to get inside their head. You got to figure out what's going on and what are the limiting beliefs? What are the emotional addictions? What are the habits, patterns, fears? You know, what's the fuel of choice that, that feeds this person? You know, so it's a deep level of rapport building. It's a, it's a, it's a masterful approach to asking questions uh, within that rapport get the honest answers where you could listen depthfully, not just to what they're saying, but past what they're saying, to what they mean, what they feel, why they're saying what they're saying, what emotion gets created for them when they're saying what they're saying. And no different than looking at somebody and seeing that they're addicted to cigarettes or no different than looking at somebody and seeing that they're addicted to alcohol or sugar or chocolate or whatever. I end up looking at people and I end up figuring out what emotion are they addicted to? Are they giving themselves a steady dose of dread or shame? Are they giving themselves a steady dose of, of, of obsessive and worried? Like, you know, are they giving themselves a steady dose of guilt or regret or inadequacy? Are they giving themselves steady doses of overwhelm and frustration and anger? Right? So, so, um, you know, when you can start to help people identify, the emotions that they're feeding themselves on a regular basis, you can start to like motivate them to, 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 to change it if it's not serving them. So there's more to be said about behavioral intervention and intervening in emotional addiction and on and on. But that's, uh, that's the other way. So I call it check up from the neck up to keep it funny. Right. But it's, it's, it's deep dive, um, you know, psycho emo transformational work. Talking about influence, um, just a very personal question. And um, I know that you're fine when I ask you a personal question. Yeah. <laughs> How did you influence your own wife to marry you? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think she thinks I'm funny. You know, I was, I was trying to talk to, I think I was talking to my, my oldest son about that yesterday. Like, I don't know. It's definitely not my looks. We know that, Lenka. I know where you're going with this question. I know, I know where you're going with that. <laughs> Um, so she must think I'm smart. She must think, maybe she thinks like, Oh, this guy's different, you know, maybe, or maybe, you know, I don't know. Is, is my wife listening right now? Maybe she thought, Oh, I can control this guy. Uh, you know, and if I don't, if I don't, who will, you know, my wife happens to be one of the strongest people on the planet. She's so loyal, so dedicated, so committed to her own career as well. She's competitive, uh, and, and she's feisty, but she's a doer, man. She, if you want to get it done, give it to Marianne. She gets it done. 
I am just the luckiest dude on the world when she said, yeah, I knew I was good at sales when she said, yes, let me tell you that right now. And, um, but we took our time. We, I knew I only wanted to get married once. I saw the family that she was, you know, her mom and dad were together, three older brothers. She had a younger sister, aunts and uncles, you know, were living with her a lot as they were coming over from the Philippines. So it was always big family, lots of family, 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 family. And even though my situation was just me and my brother and my mom and my dad, it was still, it was us, you know, we were tight, our families, mostly because our house was so small, we had to go outside to change our minds, you know, so you get, you get really intimate when you live in close quarters, but um, we've got similar values, you know, family isn't, you know, family, you know, who you call your family, right? It's like, it's not even necessarily who you share a last name with, you know, or who you share a, a business agreement with, or an employment contract with, or an independent contract. People say, oh, I, we, ha- we have a family approach to doing business, so we're family, family. This word gets thrown around, but listen, if you don't share values, you're going to have a hard time calling each other family. So I got really lucky. I think Marianne saw my, my, my family values, how I feel about the concept of love, the willingness to be vulnerable so that either you or your beloved may grow. And... Um, I don't know. I, I can keep going on and on. But it's still a mystery. I might die not ever really knowing. Um, maybe she likes the way I cuddle. I don't know. I don't know, Lenka. I don't know. The powerful hugs. I mean, your hugs are really powerful. And you're, you're not just saying that, are you? No, I'm not. I, re- I really mean it. And you know, whenever we, we see each other, I'm really looking forward to that hug because you can g- give and receive a hug and it's true. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's meant from you. It. It every time it feels like it, it. It. It's for me. It's not for Alexander. It's not for Julian. It's not for anyone else. This particular hug is for me. So there, I feel energy, and and from you, I feel that this energy is meant to. Yeah, meant to be for me. So I. I yeah, it, it's just very special. I can't describe it probably in words. Uh, I would need someone like you who would be able to express this better. Well, <laughs> I, do have, I do have a saying for um, the things that are undescribable. Um, usually those are the same things that are undeniable. So my rule number eight is some things are as undescribable as they are undeniable. Or some uh-huh. things that are undeniable as they are un- undescribable. You can switch those in the saying, right? But um, a lot of, uh, usually... Yeah, the tongue twisting, the tongue tying phenomena, um, words fall short of really trying to capture when something's legit. And then love is kind of like that, right? Like love is powerful. Love is like all per- pervasive, right? And so we got this four letter word for, for this huge force, right? It's, it just seems inadequate, doesn't it? But um, and it's, and it, it is, I think it is rare. You know, people were trained to be afraid. We're trained to defend our egos. We're trained to look out for number one and fight for ourselves. You know, like not just like our, our survival instincts as, a, as, a, as an animal, like as a, as a creature, you know, just survival instincts, right? But then also the media and society and capitalism and, you know, money, money, money and all that stuff. Everybody's so conditioned to look within and just be all about themselves. And I try to live a life where I'm looking out for others and trying to understand others and let people know that I see them and that I'm here for them. And I, I, if that comes through in the hugs, then, um, then I'm, I could start crying. Maybe I didn't bring enough tissue to this podcast. Jeff, you have, you have three beautiful kids. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they, they are really beautiful. It's probably thanks to your wife as well. Um, That's right. That's absolutely right. And if anybody does end up seeing the video, I always keep pictures of the kids really close by. This picture's a little old now. You must know 
that my daughter knows exactly where the camera is at all times. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Practicing in front of the mirror. I can yeah. see. Well, she's the performer and she's the performer and she's, she's very much like me, you know, carefree, free spirit, takes a lot of verbal risks. You know what I mean? To, to, to engage and perform and express herself. And, um, my oldest son, AJ, he's just a really loyal, responsible, competitive young man, um, fantastic athlete. And uh, he, was, he was named um, student of the quarter for the last three months in school, which was really good because he started off a little rocky with school and he fought to work his way to get back. And, and he showed leadership and, and, and study, study skills, which, which were really impressive. And Brody, we're still figuring him out, man. He's five years old coming along. He's going to be in kindergarten this coming year. And I think he's going to be a creative expressive as well, but he's starting to get into Taekwondo and he broke his first board and he got his white belt. And so I'm really proud of our kids. They're beautiful. They're really smart. They've got their mix of comp competitive and creative energies. And um, I, I have another Kluby snack that I'll offer you. Uh, and it goes a little something like this. Are you ready? Yes. Although my children are doing a really good job, it's hard to raise your parents. <laughs> so okay what is the tip you would give to all of the parents right now listening because oh. communication plays i would say communication is everything when it comes to raising your kids obviously yeah. for example when it comes to taking actions yeah but let's be honest communication so uh, share some tips all right um first of all I think if parents, parents, again, like you said, need to think about parenting, right? See, all parents think they're good parents because they love their kids, right? It's like all people think that they're listening because they can hear you, right? So hearing is not the same thing as listening, right? You got to pay attention if you would call it, to call it listening, right? Does that make sense? Yes. So, so parents think they're being a good parent. When they say shit like, are you ready? Mm -hmm. No, don't stop. Wait. No, don't stop. Wait. Put that down. Stop. Wait. Come back here. No, don't stop. Wait. They think they're being a good parent protecting their child. Yes. All they're doing is getting their child addicted to fear, addicted to fright, addicted to taking, like, afraid of taking action because they don't know what they're going to get yelled at for next if they move forward afraid to take chances, afraid to believe in themselves, afraid to explore, afraid to discover, afraid to pioneer, afraid to venture, right? So parents think they're doing a good job by protecting their kids from any harm that could come their child's way. And let me tell you that I don't know what the fine line is to straddle. You definitely need to protect your kids to a certain point. However, if you, if you don't spend time thinking about the true responsibility of parents is to get our kids to be independent as quickly as possible, then they're going to be some form of dependency there. Mm -hmm. And that dependency will ruin the kid's marriage, might ruin the kid's career. Does this make sense? The kid might think, oh, I can't go and travel the world because what if my mom gets sick? I need to take care of my mom. You know, my mom took care of me and protected me, so now I need to protect her. You know, right? Well, wait a second. What about my potential? So there's a, there's a tough deal when it comes to, like, cutting the umbilical cord and, and letting the kids live their potential. And the, if the kid's afraid of, like, leaving their parents behind, for example, or, 
you know, what kind of dependencies exist as a function of that parenting or will the kid even aspire? You know, maybe the parents like, no, look, I've got plenty of money to take care of myself. I've got in care home. Uh, we've got retirement. We got, I'm fine. Will you go and will you go and live your life already? And they can't because all they heard all their lives was, no, don't stop. Wait, no, don't stop. Wait, you can't. Be careful. Don't do that, right? All of that stuff. So, so what am I getting at? Number one, parents, if you're listening, make a commitment to helping your child get independent as quickly as possible. Like you see a lot of parents like, oh, let me open that for you. Let me do that for you. Let me, you know, the parents, it's like, will you stop and let them do it themselves? But they're going to mess it up. Yeah, you're damn right they are. And they're going to learn more by messing it up, figuring out how that feels, and making sure that they don't experience that feeling again. They're never experiencing that feeling in the first place, waiting for everybody else to take care of things for them. So that's, that's like a huge, huge, like, if it's not the first step, it's got to be one of them, right? Like committing to the independence of the child and being disciplined and not just parenting everything that moves, but thinking about every opportunity to parent as am I restricting or promoting my child's independence. Yeah. One thing that I also picked up on in this example is how you value learning in relation to producing. So is the goal in the moment to get something done or is the goal in the moment to learn something? And one thing that we... Well, oh, on, I, that's not the question. No. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> it's mutually exclusive. What if the goal of every moment is both, is to produce and learn concurrently? Exactly, exactly. Learning adds a layer to your experience that once you're open to it, makes every experience richer and makes every future experience more productive. Yeah, absolutely. If, if um, you know, it depends. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like the, like the older we get, you know, if we haven't achieved what we want to achieve, all of a sudden productivity is going to be, we're going pr to prioritize productivity over learning. Does that make sense? Like, uh, time's running out for me. I got to get this shit done right away. You know, like, does that make sense? You know, it's so it's, it's like, you know, for those of you that are, that are youthful out there. And when I say youthful, I, I mean, and, and you know, this isn't necessarily fair of me, but I say 35 years or younger. Um, to me, that's really youthful. I still consider myself young by comparison, um, but I'm 46 now heading, to, heading towards 47. And um, you know, if you're 35 or younger, get it done, learn and, and be productive and make mistakes and, and focus on the learning, the learning, the learning, the learning, uh, because then you'll be able to produce things so much quicker in so, such, so, yeah. such less time That's right. you know, later on if you, if you really put a premium on the learning. Later on in life, you know, yeah, productivity is going to really be important. And, but by then, hopefully you've already learned enough to be as productive as you need to be. Early on when you're youthful, please, please make an investment in your learning, your education, your growth, your accumulation of knowledge, strategy, and experience, highs, lows, um, lessons, and, and, and all of that stuff. Like commit to learning, please. Talking about learning and education, we're, we live in a very special period right now. There are more and more coaches popping up everywhere. And it doesn't mean that every coach is a great coach. That's but right is that the world starts to recognize the value of experiential learning so we're used yeah. to school university learning all the theory only with a coach by your side you get to learn from practice you mm -hmm. get to design experiments go through the experience then reflect on it together and do it again now sports people teams athletes they already found out a long time ago that for you 
to optimize your potential. You need a coach by your side. Mm -hmm. Now more and more entrepreneurs start to discover this. Some companies have executives being coached. Yeah. And we see this only growing and expanding. Now, how do you trigger the insight in people that they perform better with a coach by their side? What is it that need to click inside of them to realize that? Well, if you're talking, if I understand your question correctly, can I rephrase it a little bit? It's like, why are coaches broke? <laughs> <laughs> like, why are coaches having a hard time getting people to enroll in coaching? Is that what you're asking? I think that that is a very big symptom of uh, the situation that I was yeah. describing. So like, it's, either, it's like, yeah, it's, is it, I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg conversation, right? So is it, why aren't the coaches getting people to enroll or is it, why aren't people enrolling? I think it works both ways, indeed. Okay, here's why. Coaching is not like an impulse purchase at the side of the register. It's not like you're checking out with your groceries, right? Like, oh, let me get a gallon of milk. Here's a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> oh, and throw in a nail clipper and a six-month coaching contract. You know, you don't, just, you don't just decide to do that when you're at the register on an impulse, right? It's a major life decision. I, li I like to uh, equate coaching not with therapy, right? Well, I'll talk about like psychotherapy and all of that in a minute. Mm -hmm. I like to equate coaching with getting a life insurance policy or uh, deciding who's going to do your home loan or deciding who's going to help you, who's the realtor that you're going to choose that's going to really help you buy, you know, buy your home or help you with your investments. Who is your financial advisor? Who are you giving your bank account statements to? Like letting into your life, you know, on, on a deep, deep personal level. Does this make sense to you, right? Like yeah. who, are the, who are the people, the life services professionals with whom you need to share details of your life that you don't have to share with anybody else, right? So I, when you put coaching in that category, now what? Now we're trying to sell against defense mechanisms and shame. And what if I don't have enough money? What if I don't want people to see me? So in other, we're trying to coaching when we're trying to sell our services, we're selling directly into fear, not just like, Oh, is this car going to break down on me? If I buy it, that's different. Like, Oh my God, is this person going to, what's this person going to say when they realize I don't have anything for retirement? You know, what's this person going to say when they realize that my wife and I haven't slept together in 18 months? You know, what's this person going to, what's this coach going to think when they realize that uh, I'm ignoring two of my children and hanging on to the one because I didn't, whatever, whatever somebody's problem is. And like, what's the coach going to think when they realize that I'm the person that hired the problem in the company and I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that won't fire the problem person in the organization? What's the coach going to think when they realize it's me? Do you understand how much vulnerability and ego defense we're trying to sell into? Right. That's one. Another thing is, is that, you know, even, you know, coaching is a misunderstood thing, right? People confuse, well, what's coaching from mentoring or coaching from consulting or coaching from training? training. How's a coach different from a therapist? Let me talk about that for a second, right? Uh, the bridge on the fear. You know, my, my, my simple take is that, well, a therapist wants to take you into the past to heal some sort of a wound. A coach wants to take you into your future despite any wounds, right? But still, it involves understanding mental blocks and strategies and inadequacies, et cetera. Most people don't realize that coaches need to find out the strengths of people and put those things forward in the face of the changes that they're trying to make. Um, and then but people don't understand coaching. Like, what is it? How does it work? How does it get delivered to me? Like, what, I just hire a coach. The next thing I know, I'm how does it work? So a great, a great fail. So first of all, we're selling into huge fear. 
We're selling it a huge ego defense. And if we can't get people a clear picture on how it works, they won't buy. Mm -hmm. They just won't. Right. And we, so another, not only do we need to demonstrate for them exactly how it works, they need to be able to either feel or know or see exactly how coaching will work for them. That's not enough though. The, the, that feeling, that certainty of how it will work for them has to be stronger, has to weigh more than the fear of being seen. The fear of being discovered or diagnosed or challenged or confronted. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, so that's why I'm really, really proud of the two complementary coaching system process that I developed years ago when I realized that selling coaching was going to be a challenge for some of the reasons that I mentioned. And a lot of other coaches, there's a lot of broke coaches. Do you know the statistics or something like 90% of all people that call themselves coaches make less than $40,000 a year as a coach? Wow. Like I, that's, that's, it doesn't surprise me, but I've studied this. It's, I call it enrollment dysfunction, ED. Are you laughing, Linka? ED, enrollment dysfunction, right? It's like, like on one side of the spectrum, you got this person that they went through uh, a coach's training program and then they're taught to offer you a, oh, let me give you a free 35 minute session or a free 45 minute session. And you get into that session and they're trying to do like follow the script and follow the process and, and you're on the, other, the, the, on the other end of the session, where are we going with this? What's happening? They've got their guard up waiting for a sales pitch to come in 45 minutes anyway. So they're not really letting the person run their process because they're not playing full out and being vulnerable. They're waiting for the sales pitch. So that it's like, it's, it's so funny watching somebody try to execute a process that somebody's not paying attention to. They're just waiting for a sales pitch. So, if they, they, so it's fumbling and it's awkward. And then, and then now it's, they set a 45-minute session, right? So now they're looking, there's 37 minutes in, there's only eight minutes left and the person hasn't finished their process yet. And, so, and then they come up and they go, well, wait, we only have eight minutes left and can you stay longer? And it's like, wait a second, stay longer for who? For you to finish from your process or for me to get value in a coaching yeah. process? Stay longer. So, well, how about I just coach you for a month and then when you get the results, then you'll tell other people. And then that's complete dysfunction on one side, right? People that are giving away a month, two, three, four months of coaching to somebody so that they could build their practice. Now, like what, I'm going to show up to these sessions to help you build your practice. I thought I was supposed to get help from coaching. And now there's no money being exchanged. There's no skin in the game. Both parties can cancel sessions. It, it falls apart. And so no wonder the coach making less than 40 grand a year. On the other side, you get these telemarketer boiler room um, sales approach to coaching where you've got like salespeople that are in a telemarketing studio calling, like, you know, doing 30 minute sessions, like, 12 to 14 times a day because uh, a huge speaker that fills the room with 10,000 people or more every time they speak is generating so many leads that it goes into a, a like a telemarketed situation. Like, hi, this is Joe from Blankety Blank Organization. Are you ready for your coaching session today? Do you have a pen? Do you have a paper? Okay, great. We're going to do this little exercise. Blankety Blank. Hey, do, no, no, double, do it all over under. What's that behind you? Okay, what credit card do you want to put this on? <laughs> I've right? been in one of those. Yeah. Have you been? You're nodding your head. I'm not making this shit up, am I? This is no. the truth. Okay. So I, I call it, these are the bookends of enrollment dysfunction, right? And you know, does, does this make sense? So on one side, these coaches are going to be broke. On the other side, telemarketers are either going to get fired if they don't make the sales or they're going to make the sales, you know? And sometimes the, like the, the numbers, sometimes people get into coaching there. There's the, the numbers game is what helps them. Or sometimes people buy that coaching just to say that they have coaching for this organization. Oh, so-and-so is my coach, right? 
And, and the reality is that person isn't doing one-on-one coaching sessions with the person doing that slow boil that we talked about earlier. You know, they're just the face of the organization, but they want to say, Oh, they put this money and saying, Oh, so-and-so is my coach, but they're never, they're never, you know, they never have rapport built with them. They're never diagnosed and never given strategies. They're never held accountable on a regular basis. They just say, yeah, I have coaching for so-and-so. And anyway, I'm, I'm kind of poo-pooing a lot of it. My point is I was motivated when I realized, Oh my God, selling coaching is really tough. You know, like it's, this is really hard. Like, what did I do? What did I get myself into? Right. But I'd committed, I committed, I was going to monetize this. I was going to build a career as a coach. So I had to figure out a way to do it knowing what I know about people, knowing what I know about communication, knowing what I know about persuasion, knowing what I know about sales, knowing what I know about coaching now that I'd been trained as a coach and knowing what I know about trying to do it the way I was trained to do it and learning from those failures. And I came up with a two complementary system, no more than two, right? Not zero, not one, not three or more, but two, which gives me that, it gave me that boundary. I knew that by the time we got to the end of the second session, I, I, it was, that was it. If you want more coaching, you got to pay. And if not, fine. I gave you two sessions and I served. I gave you, you know, two to two and a half hours of complimentary coaching. You didn't have your defenses up in the first one because you knew there was going to be a second session. So you knew I wasn't going to sales pitch you in the first one. So we got to really take time to build rapport, get to know each other, create the space for listening. I didn't have to balance my process with a sales pitch all in 45 minutes. I could take the time to build rapport figure out what hurts, how bad it hurts, how, what you're willing to do about it, teach you a little goal setting, give you an assignment to work on your goals and then hold you accountable to doing that in the second session. Now, what does that do? If my framework is motivation plus accountability equals results, there has to be a second session for them to experience accountability. Yeah. I, have, you, have you ever driven a car or bought a car without test driving it? No. No. So how is somebody going to buy coaching unless they test drive it? Mm-hmm. How are you going to test drive it? How are you going to test drive accountability unless you've been held accountable for something. So I figured out just based on that alone, I got to give them an assignment in the first session and see if they're willing to do the work and hold them accountable in the second session. And even if they come back to the second session, having not done it, I still get to show them what I'll do when they're out of integrity. I say, that's fine. If you didn't work on your goals, you haven't hired me yet. When you hire me and you're out of integrity around a commitment, here's the three-step process I'm going to take you through to hold you accountable and get you to decommit or recommit. Are you ready? Write this down. First, I'm going to get you to own it. Then I'm going to get you to understand the consequences of not being your word or making progress towards your goals. And then I'm going to get you to decommit or recommit. So just know that when you hire me, that's what will happen when you're out of integrity. For now, these are complimentary sessions. Don't worry about it. Let's just make sure you understand how coaching will work for you when it works for you. Let's move on to the next section. So I'm able to actually really coach, really give an example of motivation, really give an example of accountability. And uh, I've got more time to, in, to infuse that coaching process with everything that's required to do a very, very, very tough sale, which is selling past all of that fear, right? So sales is hard enough when there's no fear. You know what I mean? Think about it. People come to a car lot, they want a car. Mm-hmm. You know, there's way less fear you have to deal with than, you know, a life service where you're, people are going to have to really be vulnerable, share a lot of personal information that they don't share with anybody else, really do deep transformative work or, or discipline work, you know, task management work, um, be confronted, be challenged, all of that. That's, you know, that's hard to sell into if you can't make them sh- make sure they know exactly how it works and how it's going to work for them. And so that's why I'm really proud that that, that ability to, to that got, got my enrollments up. That's how I was able to enroll people in coaching, get into the top 10% of all coaches once I got past the $40,000 mark. And now I got, I must be up in, you know, close to five, four, you know, like now it's nice, comfortable six figure livelihood that this whole coaching thing is, has brought about for me. So it's all, I, I give all credit to the, the work that I did to, to develop the two complimentary session process. And that's what I teach other people how to do 
in my coaching and leadership training. Well, th thank you, Jeff. I think it's a huge value for not only for coaches, for pe for all people who have which have a profession. They have to think way further than just how can I sell you, right? They have to think about how can I persuade you, how can I influence you, what's your surrounding, are you ready to make the decision, when are you ready to move forward? So I think the tip that you just gave, yeah, I I've never heard about anything like this until, yeah, until the moment that I met you. So I believe, yeah. yeah, I believe my coach's training has a lot of technique and strategy that it, a lot of people can find anywhere else, but I synthesize it in a unique way. I tie it all together in a way that makes it digestible for the learner. And the one thing that my coach's training does that no other coach's training does is I teach you this process that's got me to be where I am today as a coach. So if you're not making as much money as you want to make as a coach, or if you're not making any money as a coach, or if you just want to learn how to coach and know that you can make any money as a coach, I really strongly recommend my coach's training. But not until you're ready. If you're not ready to commit, if you're not ready to be vulnerable, if you're not ready to stay the course, be confronted, do the assignments and have the conversations, then you don't want anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't, don't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a commitment when you, when you get into a coach's training program with me. So when are people ready, they are committed where they can find you. All right. Well, um, First of all, you might, I'm easy to find on my website, which is www.getaclue.net. That's G-E-T-A-K-L-U.net. When you're there, we talked about public speaking. This, you know, in this interview, we've talked about coaches training. You'll see uh, your opportunity to sign up for two complimentary sessions if you want to experience two complimentary sessions from myself or a coach that I've trained. Uh, we we're trying to be strategic about how we hand out those assignments when they come in. There's a form to fill out and we try to match you up appropriately. Um, I, I want to say maybe for the first five people that do that listening to this podcast, I can guarantee that it will be me. That will be your coach. So I'll monitor that coming you. in as, as a gift That's to your audience, as a gift to your audience, Alex and, and Lenka. Thank I you. can promise the first five people uh, will get Jeff Klubeck if they mention the name of your podcast or the episode or however you title it. So let's go. Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> I'm so you sign up yourselves it's funny <laughs> all right the first seven people okay so, um and then and then there's also there'll be a, a free resource uh, my my free ebook on the fifth step to fearless public speaking for people that want to get past the fear of public speaking or want to get better at speaking or want to use public speaking to help build their influence as a subject matter expert or generate more business or leads etc so if you want to get the process started on seeing how I can support you when it comes to public speaking training, uh, whether that involves working together as a speech, you know, writing a, a speech or preparing you for a talk or getting you past the fear or training you to do it on your own. So those are some good ways to, to, to get a hold of me for, for people that might be interested in, in becoming a coach, getting, being a better coach, making more money as a coach, or getting past the fear of public speaking or using public speaking as a way to launch your career. Do you help any other people than coaches or you focus yeah. on Coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm a, it's a little arrogant, if not foolish, right, to think that, you know, if you have, uh, uh, you know, a heartbeat, a pulse, if you're a human being, I can help you. you awesome. know, and, and so there's a lot of coaches that specialize. I'm a health coach. I'm a financial coach. I'm a, you know, they, they go and they niche. And there is a lot of uh, strategic value in, in getting specialized. Right? My methodology, it's really, I don't, it, it, it's motivation and accountability. We apply that to whoever you are, whatever you do. So the process of dialogue and discourse will figure out what you want, what's preventing you from getting it, what strategy is going to work best for your behavioral style, broken down into the tactics that you're then held accountable for, right? And along the way, if we need to do the checkup from the neck up, we will. I, I just think that if there's anybody that's feeling stuck, 
uh, feeling in, if you're in pain, if you're out of balance, if you're underfulfilled, if you don't have anybody that you trust to talk to, if you need to save face because you're the face of the organization and you got to put up a front that you've got everything in control when behind the scenes you're freaking out with overwhelm, uh, any of that, right? If you're a parent, if you're a parent that has a teenager trying to figure out where they need to go to college, if you, you know, there's, and I've got a lot of coaches that I've trained that have other skill sets than mine as well. So, so I've independent contractors that I can assign, you know, when people have specialized needs. So it's, it's kind of as foolish as it is, as it is arrogant to say that I, we can help anybody. Beautiful. We, we prefer to work with entrepreneurs and small business owners. That's who we prefer. That's our wheelhouse. But uh, I, we believe we can help anyone. That's amazing. And, wow. and we'll know after two sessions, we'll know. And if we can't, after two sessions, we'll know if we can't help you. No, you know, no risk. So uh, does that make sense? And, and, and if, we, if we know that we can't help you, we probably know who can't. <laughs> we probably know where to point you after that if we can't help you. Awesome. Does that make sense? So we're always a good first yeah. step. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I always say there's two types of people in this world. There are people who struggle and there are know-it-alls. And so basically everyone would benefit from this. Absolutely. I, I can recommend it 100%. Knowing and working with you and experiencing the coaching sessions with you, it's way much more than you can ever believe or picture. It goes so deep and it goes so fast when it comes to results that uh yeah th there is no reason why why you wouldn't do that you would be actually clinically insane to not go to <laughs> jeff's website and go for the two coaching sessions and the faster you are the bigger the chance that you will have the amazing jeff straight in front of you in a zoom call so just go on the link that we are posting right now on the website and claim your two coaching sessions and absolutely download the ebook. I'm going to do it myself so that my public speaking gets to another level. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. 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 Thank you, Jeff, so much for your time, for all the energy, for the love that you are spreading, uh, for all the amazing tips and more importantly, for the beautiful smile. I'm sure I'm going to post a nice picture next to this podcast so that people can enjoy it as well. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I think the world of both of you, it's been a privilege when I've gotten to work with you. And I'm definitely going to be keeping um, very focused eyes on your career and positioned to support you in any way that I can. Thank you for having me as a guest. And, and uh, we hope that we provided some great value for your audience. Every time we speak with Coach Jeff, we have so much fun. <laughs> he makes complex things simple and he always delivers a fresh perspective on the things that matter most. Every true leader has multiple coaches because they realize there's no time to waste making unnecessary mistakes. And the free coaching sessions that Jeff offered are obviously a no-brainer. Imagine how one good conversation with Jeff can open the door to a completely new life path that you hadn't thought of before. Alexander always says that one great idea can save you years of your life. And that's what a checkup from the neck up does for you. To register for your free session, go to getaclue.net. That's G-E-T-A-K-L-U dot net. At the homepage, click on the green sign up button in the middle of the screen. In your application form, mention the influential executive episode 9 as a reference.
we promised a special offer for all the listeners who want the world to know about their brand. That's right. Our marketing wizards, Black Paul Marketing, prepared a special offer for you to increase your influence on Facebook. Don't try to figure it all out by yourself and give yourself the gift of working with experts. Click on the link below in the show notes to get in touch with Black Paul and apply for their special offer to get one week of your like campaign completely for free when you enroll with them. What was for you the number one insight of our interview with Jeff? Leave a comment right now because we love to hear your feedback. Did you like this episode? Please give us a like or an applause so that other listeners know that this is a good stuff. And next week there is a brand new episode with an amazing guest, Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall is the world's number one executive coach, which means he is an influencer of some of the greatest influencers in the world. Make sure you don't miss this episode. Subscribe now on earnmorewerkless.com slash podcast to receive a notification about each new episode. Thank you for listening. Now go out, make an impact and have fun.